together the things that you're doing in the life of our church. And now, Father, as we consider what your word says to us, uh, we pray that we would be led by your spirit as we look to your word. We pray that we would not hear just the words of a man, but that we would hear the very words of God as they come through the reading and the speaking of your book. Father, guide me, help me, lead me as I seek to share the things that are so, so very important about learning what it means to endure. Then, Father, bless us as we partake together of the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. God, at this time, I want to lift up and uh, pray, and I know my brothers and sisters will join me in this prayer. Our dear sister, Melissa Kindle, as she works in uh, Indonesia. And I pray that you would bless her, that you would anoint her, that you would keep her healthy. I know that that has been an ongoing struggle with her, and that you would help her to be a purveyor of the gospel and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, give us wisdom and insight now. Again, we pray as we consider your word together. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 5. We are back in James chapter 5. For those of you who are new to us, we uh, seek to do a a verse-by-verse, a passage-by-passage exposition of Scripture as we move through different books of the Bible, we find ourselves coming down, the, winding down the, the, the home stretch of the book of James, and uh, very, very important stuff. The whole book has been rich, but today we uh, find in James chapter 5 and verse 11, we're going to read the entire passage beginning in verse 7, read through verse 11, the last of three pictures, if you will, of patience. Patience. And so with me, if you have that passage of Scripture, I would invite you to uh, stand and we'll read this passage. Then we'll jump into our study. Verse 7. Be patient. That's a command. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. First picture. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The second time he commands, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Second picture. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Third picture. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You may be seated. I want you to use your imagination for something because uh, 
we can read through a passage of Scripture like this, and we, we hear the words, and we know if we've been around church long enough to read the stories of the Bible, one of those that sticks out to us is the story of Job. We did an entire series on the book of Job some months back. But somehow we lose the impact. So here's what I want to try to do. I want to try to bring it up to date, if I could. I want you to imagine that you've come to church on any given Sunday and you walk into church and you see your dear brother, Brother Job, walking through the doors. And at first you do a double take. You you almost don't recognize him because, first of all, he had a, a full head of hair, this wonderful, luxurious hair, and he has shaved it all off. Not only that, his clothes are torn. As he walks in, there's a cloud of dust because he's been sitting in ashes. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness. And like you do sometimes when you walk up to a brother or sister and you are going to ask, how are you doing? You wonder if you really should ask. But you do, you walk up to Brother Job and you say, Hey, Job, how did your weekend go? And he says to you, I'm going to try to bring this up to date. Well, on Friday at 10 a.m., I lost my job. My broker called to tell me that cyber terrorists had wiped out every penny of every account that I had, all my retirement, everything is gone. That was at 10. At 10.15, my house, my cars, my property were completely destroyed by fire. That was at 10.15. At 10.30, an F5 tornado hit my son's house. All of my children were there having a party with him, and it killed all of my children. Then, on Saturday, the next day, as if things couldn't get any worse, I broke out with this incredibly strange, unimaginable, excruciatingly painful disease, like shingles, only worse, and they covered me from the head the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Also on Saturday, my wife came to me and basically turned her back on me. My friends came, but they all together accused me that it was all my fault. So other than that, not bad. Now, that's not what Job said, if you remember. In fact, after his friends came and he was silent with them for a time, the first thing that Job did was to curse the day of his birth. Now, here's what I want you to do. You've imagined that. I I hope, in a way, you've put yourself into the place of someone who has asked someone that you've seen. And all of us in this room have experienced loss, and we will experience loss in the days 
ahead. In fact, I had this insight when I was talking or studying for this sermon this week. Do you understand, do you realize that everything that happened to Job will someday happen to you and to me? And it may come at our death, but we will lose everything and gain nothing unless we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? But here's what I want you to do. You've imagined that you've walked in and you've seen Brother Job. I want you to turn the tables and see if you can do this. Please, see if you can do this. I want you to imagine now that you are Job. That's the third picture that James uses. When he says to you and to me, he said it to some people back then, the the people who made up this church were mostly poor. They didn't have a thing and they were being abused. They were being oppressed by wealthy landowners. There was very little that they could do about that. And in the context of that, James commands Christians, you and me, no matter what circumstances we are in, no matter the fire of adversity, to be patient. You heard me say it a minute ago. I walked all the way through that passage of Scripture. Be patient. And he gives the first picture like the farmer. In other words, here's the summary. We talked about this several weeks ago. The summary of being patient like a farmer is patient is this. You cannot control the circumstances of your life any more than a farmer can control the rain. That's tough. What does that mean? It means that that as you are patient like the farmer is patient, you must depend upon God for every circumstance in your everyday life. As you wait for the harvest... That was a theme. That's a theme throughout this passage of Scripture. What is the harvest? It's not just the physical harvest that the farmer experiences. He says that for you and me, we are to be patient until what? The ultimate harvest. When God sets everything right, and he comes again. But he goes on. He gives a second command, and he says, be patient. And he gives another picture. He gives a picture of the prophets. Now, if like a farmer... You cannot control the circumstances in your everyday life. Let me me just say there parenthetically, you can control some, but ultimately not all of them. We understand that. But here's what I believe he's trying to illustrate when he talks about be patient like the prophets. Folks, you can't get this. You cannot control the people in your life. any more than you can ultimately control the circumstances in your life. Now, I know you want to. And I think of several of the prophets who were given their, their walking papers. They were given their job description to go out and to preach. And, 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 and oftentimes, God would tell them, this is what I want you to preach to the people. Several prophets, they preached to the Gentiles. But for the most part, they preached to the, to the people of Israel. And it was not pleasant stuff. Okay, I adjusted. Hopefully that'll get it. The guys back there are working diligently to to correct that. Thank God for them. But if you can just kind of focus in 
I can't control the circumstance. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this. But we're going to get this. We're, we're, you're going to focus right here on, on this. Now, we've talked about the farmer. We've talked about being patient like the prophets. And folks, if you go, we're not going to do this now. I thought about maybe going to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, hall of faith, and it talks about the prophets and what they went through. And uh, they, they, were, they were killed, they were stoned. Do you realize one of the prophets was actually cut in two? Sawn in half. I, I just, I can't even imagine. I don't know if it was this way or that way, but sawn in two. Probably the prophet Jeremiah. They couldn't control the people. Now, we come to the third picture, and the nuance changes a little bit. He does not, and and get this, we're going to come to this in a minute. He does not say, give the command, be patient like Job. What he does is say, you have heard about the steadfastness of Job. In other words, you are to remember the picture as you look at the life of Job. Now, the farmer couldn't control the circumstances. The prophets couldn't control the people. Listen, Job couldn't control either one. He couldn't control the circumstances. Total, total, absolute devastation and destruction of everything that he had in life, even his health. You know, sometimes people will say, well, I, I, I can lose everything, but I've still got my health. He didn't even have that. But he also had the people problem because he had his friends, his best friends come to him and exercise personal attacks against him. And all the time having to look to the Lord and trust his purpose, trust his character, trust his blessings to come. So let me go on in the outline. There's something that's an interlude before we actually get to this, and you've got to understand it. It's going to be a real quick statement. What is the Bible all about? And I think you know the answer to that, don't you? The Bible is all about God. Shouldn't be any hesitation. In other words... This is important as we look at the example of Job. It's not about you. This is hard because we we live in a culture where a, a lot of the prominent teaching in religious circles is that God exists for your happiness and your comfort. And if you build your life around that, then at some point in time, maybe even on your deathbed, if you happen to get through all of life unscathed, but on your deathbed, you are going to be greatly disappointed. We have to understand that first of all and foremost, that the Bible is about God and His glory. Now, hang with me as I say that, because God is for you, Christian. I'm going to come back and say that. God loves you, and His love is the ground, but His glory is the ultimate goal. Here's a quote that I came across this last week. It's not in your outline. I'll point to several of those great quotes in your outline. But I saw this, and it's, a, it's an excellent summary 
of the fact that, that God is for God and the Bible is for God. The love of God is not God's making much of us, but God saving us from self-centered sin so that we can enjoy making much of Him forever. Romans 15.4 says this, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And that's why we go back to the story of Job. That through, look at the word, endurance, that's the same word, steadfastness, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, with that understanding about what the Bible is all about, for you and for me, let's try to unpack this. You'll see in your outline, we're going to walk right through this verse, verse 11, and first, try to understand the Lord's blessing. It says, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Steadfast in what? Steadfast in what? Steadfast in faith. But in the context of this, Job remains steadfast in what? He remains steadfast in the midst of adversity. Notice again, it says blessed and not happy. This is not talking about, as we said just a moment ago, a a kind of blessedness that is based on good things happening in your life, but ultimately it's the blessedness of knowing the approval of God. The smile of God rests upon the life of the Christian who endures. Let me give you a couple of of verses, of passages that talk about that. We go back to the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. Where? In heaven. You may not see it this side of heaven, but it is coming. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says these great words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it may be rough, And we all go through the ups and downs of life. And maybe you're going through a particular time in your life when you are just not sure of what's going on. Remember, the smile of God rests on the life of the Christian who endures. I was in college when I first heard an evangelist named Tom Skinner. Anybody old enough with me to remember Tom Skinner? Well, I guess not. Okay, Norma, you're one. All right, great evangelist. He came to the University of Arkansas. He taught it, uh, preached at University Baptist Church, and I'll never forget. He, he, he interesting man, raised in, in the ghettos of, of, of Harlem, part of a gang, came to faith in Christ. Incredible. He, he went back. You don't do this. He went back, back to his gang, and he said, I'm resigning... I don't know what you call it, my gangship or my membership. 
I'm resigning. You don't do that. You're killed. But providentially, God protected him. He went on to play football at the college level, then became an evangelist. Died at 52. Died young. But a story that he told really illustrates this thing about the smile of God being on those who endure. He said that in one particular game in college, he was a lineman. He was a big guy, a lineman. And all night long, they'd been running plays, and he had been down in the the dirt, in the grit, and he was opening holes, he said, that that a a truck could drive through. And and, and the, 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 the back was dancing through the holes and scoring touchdowns, and everybody would cheer for the the running back as he would score the touchdowns. And he said after a couple of times, he started, he started to get angry, started to get bitter. Said to himself, you know, here I am doing all the grunt work. I'm doing the work, and that guy just runs through untouched, makes it look easy, and he gets all of the praise. But as he walked off the field, he looked up at his coach, and his coach was doing this, and nobody else around, but he was doing this. Good job. Good job. And he said, that made it all worth it. And listen, my brother and sister, you may feel like nobody recognizes what you are going through, but someday you will see the Lord say, good job. For enduring, God's smile is upon those who endure. Now let's move on to the second thing. The second part of verse 11. Realize the Lord's purpose. This is interesting. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Now, again, the book of Job, the story of Job is well known It was well known to them and is well known to us. But I find this interesting that in James, now look at this, twice he has commanded us to be patient. Be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the prophets. But did you notice that he doesn't say be patient like Job? We've heard the saying before, everybody's heard the saying, the patience of Job. Well, that person has the patience of Job. Folks, there's a reason why James didn't say, look at the patience of Job. And here's why. Job really wasn't a very patient person going through adversity. Now watch this. In the first chapter, second chapter, he, he, he absolutely, we're going to come back and look at some of the things that he, he said. He absolutely was a paragon, a trusting God. But when you get into that chapter, after his three friends come, then all of a sudden he, well, he begins by cursing the day of his birth. He really wasn't very patient first of all, with God. And he was annoyed. He wasn't very patient with his friends when they came. Let me just show you a couple of verses that you can pull out. And and by the way, parenthetically, 
Job is in good company, the psalmist. They all get into this. They worry, they fret, they are impatient. Look at some of the things that, that Job went through. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth in chapter 3. He says, for the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress? He really wasn't very patient with God. By the way, that's why he had to come back and repent at the end. But he also wasn't very patient with his friends. He, he got annoyed with these men, they, they, they thought they were doing the right thing. They came with their own warped theology. I'm telling you, sometimes warped theology will put a burden on you that is as bad as the suffering itself. And he finally ends up by saying, you guys are worthless, miserable comforters. I know that's what you're trying to do, but you are not doing a good job of getting this. And do you know why, listen, do you know why twice now James has commanded our patience, but when we come to Job, do you know why he uses him as a picture? I think if Job had been able to sail through all that adversity perfectly, you and I would never have been able to relate to him at all. You would be a very, very unusual person if in what you have been through in your life, you didn't, at one time or the other, grow impatient. And while you, particularly if you've walked with the Lord a long time, you've been in church, you can mask by your words an attitude of being impatient with God. It's not as easy to mask your annoyance with other people. But I think that, that James knew what he was doing. He put, he put James in, or Job in this passage of Scripture where we could relate to him. If you remember, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, these things were given so that we might be instructed on how to endure. But here's the thing, ultimately, ultimately Job always came back to his dependence upon God. Here's what I want to do. I, I want you to turn to the book of Job and uh, go to the first chapter, first chapter of Job. <clears throat> and I want to walk you through about five different passages where and you, you can jot down in your Bible. It's okay to mark your Bible. It's okay with me. Um, and, and I want to show you that ultimately, woven throughout Job's struggle with adversity and his struggle with even the impatience that he felt and the annoyance that he felt, there is this sense of always coming back to God. This should be an encouragement as we walk through. First of all, I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 10, excuse me, verse 20. 
after all these things had happened, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Turn to chapter 2, verse 10. 2, verse 10. When his wife came to him, he basically said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women should speak, would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then turn to chapter 13, verse 15. Some, some time has passed. We don't know how much, but at least... Some words have been said, and Job is struggling. But he comes to this incredible, you've heard this before, this incredible statement in chapter 13, verse 15. Though he, and he's talking about the Lord, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Then turn to chapter 19 and verse 15. And I love this because Job was looking. He was looking. For what God was going to do in his life. And in Job, in, in Job 19 verse 25 he said, For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. That is incredible that he was able to see the Redeemer and glorify God. Turn to chapter 23. Chapter 23 in verse 10. And again, these are woven throughout the book of Job, these particular verses that I'm giving you, showing that even though he struggled, he ultimately came back to trust God, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. He knew God's purposes. And then last of all, chapter 42, chapter 42 and verse 5. Comes to the end when God has a chance to speak with him and he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Consider the Lord's purpose in whatever He has you going through. And we know that God is sovereign. We know that we can trust that attribute. But let me just say this, and I think James, back in James, is so wise to do this. Because if all you've got is God's sovereignty, that's not much comfort. Now follow me. God's sovereignty is a comfort, but He also blends it with two other things. He says, consider the Lord's purpose. He is sovereign in what you are going through. He has a definite purpose and you need to worship Him. But He says further, consider the Lord's character. Not only that he is in control of your life, that he knows what he is doing, but you can also trust his 
character. Psalm 119, verses 67 and 68 summarizes that. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Here is where his character and his person come into play. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. God's character is always attached to his sovereignty. Go back to the very beginning. What was Satan's primary ploy against Adam and Eve? He didn't attack God's authority to give the command. What did he do? He tried to get them to doubt God's goodness. And he does the same to you. Let me recommend a book to you. Several weeks ago, I recommended a book that was out of print. One of the men in the church looked it up and he told me later on that book is out of print and it's worth a lot. So if you can find your copy, do it. Uh, you said it was worth like a hundred bucks. You, you could get one online. So I'm going to look desperately for my copy. But this is a book that Jan and I have been reading. It's a very, very simple book. Jerry Bridges is probably one of the best authors that is around. He, well, he's in heaven right now, but his books are still around. And this book, if you can see it, it's entitled 31 Days to Trust in God. I highly recommend that book. Daily readings that go deep into the scriptures. Get that book, 31 Days to Trusting God. So how do you do it? James points out two things that Job learned in his suffering. First thing is this, he learned that the Lord is compassionate. Look at this passage. I know it's a long passage, a couple of verses strung together. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now drop down. You can read all of the others if you jot this down and look it up later. But look at the last phrase. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you believe that God is compassionate in his purpose for you? There are a lot of people who don't. Did you realize there is an entire system of belief that is built on the premise that Jesus Christ is really not compassionate? It views him rightly as a judge. But these people believe that there must be someone to go to Jesus and to intercede for us. And I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church. The belief that Mary is the merciful and compassionate one. Listen, people, Jesus needs no help in being compassionate. I said this a minute ago. God in Jesus Christ is not, listen, is not just in you. He is for you. See this in the Psalms, the last phrase, and I've, I've kind of highlighted it. This I know. Do you know that today? That God is not only in you, He is with you, but God is for you. Do you know how I know that? What shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? In every adversity you go through, God's love and compassion cannot fail you 
one bit. And when you question God's love, let's look at the next verse after this. Verse 32, He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the Lord is compassionate, but the Lord is also merciful. Lamentations. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if you would look with me at that quote by Richard Greenham, a Puritan, lived many years ago. I, I, I just, of all of the quotes that I put down, I think this is absolutely stunning. Whatsoever is upon you is from the Lord. And whatsoever is from the Lord, to you it is mercy. And whatsoever comes in mercy ought not to be grievous to you. What loss is it when the losing of earthly things is the gaining of spiritual things? All shall be for your good if you make your use of them all. So as we come to the end of this, what what does it mean? How is it linked to the Lord's Supper? Do you see something else in the story of Job? Do you see, do you understand, and this is the way it is in all of Scripture, that Job is a type of Jesus Christ. Job, as an imperfect man, points us to the perfect Christ. He suffered as a righteous and innocent man. He was rejected, and then he was exalted. He suffered and then he saved his friends who were those who had become his enemies by sacrificing and by interceding for him. And it says very clearly that Job was accepted by God in the place of his friends. I've shared this picture with you before. It hangs in my office. It's by Tom Blackshear. It's one of my favorite paintings. It's called Simply Forgiven. And it encourages us, the painting encourages us to look at this man who is weighed down with the burden of his sin. He's the one holding the spike. He's the one holding the mallet. He's the one who's dirty because he's fallen down. But who is uplifting him? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about the Lord's Supper and what God in Christ has done for us. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice of my pleas for mercy. To you, O Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Lord's Supper is part of what we celebrate, one of the ordinances that the Lord has given to us, to remind us that today, Christian, we are closer to that day when we will be with Him, drinking and eating with Him face to face. I'd like the men to come to their stations, and I want us all to bow our heads, and I want to lead us in a prayer of commitment for what we have heard and a resolve to know Him 
I'm talking about the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you are the God of compassion and mercy. I thank you that you have a purpose through the worst adversity, through all of the suffering of this life, knowing that someday you will come again and set everything right. So Lord, now as we segue into the Lord's Supper and we partake of these elements, the little wafer of bread, the cup of grape juice, I pray that we would be reminded of the body and the blood of Christ given for us. God, if you will not spare your own son, but freely give him for us all, how will you not also give us everything that we need? So Lord, as we receive these elements and then take them in a few moments, I pray that you would guide us through these moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.